Today on This Week Health. I think first it's having a real good handle on what's the problem they're trying to yep. solve. And if they can articulate that, I can start to make the argument of then it's really dangerous to try to solution first before you understand the problem. Welcome to This Week Health Community. This is Town Hall, a show hosted by leaders on the front lines with interviews of people making things happen in healthcare with technology. My name is Bill Russell, the creator of This Week Health, a set of channels designed to amplify great thinking to propel healthcare forward. We want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Now, on to our show. Welcome to the This Week Health Community Town Hall Conversation. I'm Reed Steffen, VP and CIO at St. Luke's Health System in Boise, Idaho. And I'm joined today by Donna Roach, Chief Information Officer at the University of Utah Health. Donna, welcome and thanks for making the time. Thanks, Reed. Appreciate it. You got it. So just take a minute and share a bit about the University of Utah Health for our listeners who may not be familiar with who you are. So University of Utah Health is in Salt Lake City. We're kind of nestled right up against that Wasatch Mountain front. And uh, if I could show you a picture, you would see all the little red dots right up against the mountains, which are presently getting a lot of snow right now. We're made up of right now five hospitals with the main academic. And, you know, we're an academic medical center. So we are embedded under the university. So we have the five hospitals, 11 community health centers, 23 regional partners, and about 1,600, give or take a few minus negative physicians that are employed under the University of Utah Health. What's interesting about the organizational structure, the CEO of that of our structure reports up to the dean of the medical school, who's also the senior vice president of health sciences. So health sciences includes like the College of Nursing, College of Health, College of Pharmacy, Health Sciences Library, and then also the School of Medicine. So we're very much intertwined. I sometimes say I report up to the CEO of the hospitals and clinics, but I actually have probably 20 different department chairs that I also report to because part of my job is meeting their needs in the clinical areas and what we do. So it's a great, we're growing. We actually haven't had the same impact. We, you know, we're like everybody else. We're after COVID, we ran into staffing shortages and issues that came about, but we haven't fared as poorly as some where I see some people mm -hmm. having some really negative hits to the bottom line. We're not necessarily meeting our budget, but we're not in the red, which is a real positive, but we're pretty fiscally sound. We're also a state entity. So we report up to the legislature of Utah. Okay. So you have you, like normally you think of red, but in this case, it's actually good that you're yes. not in the red. So that's right. Glad to hear that. Well, that's <laughs> quite a scope. And we'll maybe talk in a few minutes here more about that. I also love to have guests. I think this is great for just the community kind of awareness aspect. Just take a minute and share a bit about your education background, the career path that led you to the role you have today. 
Yeah, thanks. So I actually came out of the health administration background. I have a bachelor's and a master's in health administration. My master's was at Rush, and the Rush program was very heavily quantitative systems oriented. So it paid off. I went to the University of Illinois as an undergrad, very heavy quantitative program there. And that having that background, kind of that quant IT background really helped me out. I'm also somebody, and my father was an electrical engineer and so was quickly kind of into what do computers look like and programming languages and stuff. So had that exposure early on and I enjoy the computer side, kind of the quantitative side, but I also enjoy the people side. So I know both sides of the world, right? And love kind of marrying the two together. Because to me, that's fun. It's like having that strategy view, but also knowing enough to be dangerous of how to really ask some very in-depth questions that sometimes scare my staff a little bit when I know, (laughs) because I've implemented almost every system out there which is a little scary. So when people talk about knowing Cerner or Meditech or all scripts or even the old McKesson system, Spectrum and IBAX, I don't know if you guys remember IBAX or Clinicom and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've implemented and used all of those systems. So it's, I've so appreciated what the work people have done to get us to the point where we're at. When I came out of school, out of my program. But first I thought I did a fellowship actually at the VA and I was really interested in more long-term care management. And I had some real key people say, you're way too quantitatively, your mind is set. So why don't you go more into IT? And a really good mentor of mine who Walt, and a lot of people made for his name, Walt Menning, who became the CIO at Mayo, he kind of was like pushing me, prodding me, saying, no, let's bring you back into IT. So I went back to work at Rush and kind of worked my way up. I started out as a manager. I did, I was an application analyst. I got more and more experience, more implementation experience, went from a senior analyst to a manager, to a director, to a senior director, to a CIO and just kind of grew from there. And Honestly, and I never wanted to be a CIO. It just yeah. was like, it was too, when I saw other people that were in that role, it was like, this is way too much politics. I don't mm-hmm. like it. <laughs> and to this day, I, there's still some things I don't like about it, but I realize it's a necessary evil to getting things done. So yeah, I just work through it. So I've been at a lot of places in Chicago. So Resurrection, Advocate, Central DuPage, Hospital, let's see, Adventist. And then I went up to Michigan, worked at Bronson for a while, then went to Ascension. Ascension, I worked at in several markets, Michigan, New York, Kansas, Gulf Coast, and then to the system office in St. Louis. So I've been kind of around the block a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What I love, there's the commonality to everyone's story that they share about their background when you've touched on all of it. One is open to new ideas, maybe Mm -hmm. new roles, new learnings you hadn't thought of. There's a mentor involved, a willingness to move around, which you've done a lot. And then like you've settled in academia where there's no politics, right? Is that what you love about it? It, (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. (laughs) But you've got just a wealth of experience then to help navigate that. 
to do what kind of fills your bucket. So I think yeah. that that's wonderful. I agree. I agree. Everybody's talking about hospital at home, health at home. A Market Watch article states that in-home hospitalizations saves five to seven thousand dollars per episode. And with the economy where it's at and the pressures that are on health systems, this is an important topic. On December 1st, join us for a webinar with a panel. They're going to be able to share how they stood up a successful program and work through the complex requirements for helping patients recover in a comfortable and familiar setting. You can register on our website, thisweekhealth.com. Go to the upper right-hand corner. We have current webinars and upcoming webinars. You can register right there. And uh, you could also, in that registration, put any questions you have, and we will try to address those questions during the webinar. We love doing that and love having you be a part of the conversation. So I look forward to seeing you there. Okay, you and I were talking a couple of months ago, and I wanted to take a few minutes and, and have you share with our listeners around the work that you're leading there at Utah to develop what to me is a really compelling approach to digital strategy and a digital framework. Mm-hmm. And in an era where those words are so frequently used that they start to lose meaning and you just get exhausted. And I think people are hungry for, okay, great, we get it. But, you know, we really want some pragmatic, practical approaches or frameworks for then how we would operationalize this. So I'd love to have you share with our listeners how you're tackling this at the University of Utah. Yeah. So, and and you're right. To me, digital is just a word Mm -hmm. and everything in IT is digital, but I'll ride that wave. It's like, if that helps get my message out there, I'll use that word. Now, when I first started, and I tell this story because it kind of did shock me a little bit because it was, I think, day two, the current COO came and said, hey, um, we're going to have you be in charge of the digital strategy, work with the CMIO here, get that done. And I'm like, oh, wow, I through all the interview process, nobody ever brought up you had a digital strategy. Can you tell me just what do you think is the digital strategy? And he said, in all seriousness, he said, well, it's telehealth, right? And I'm yeah. like, oh, oh, okay. So, and and it it shocked me a little bit, but that's that I think is common. People just yeah. think that that's what it is. And I said, well, I said, but you you do think it's more than just. He goes, oh yeah, yeah, but you run with it. And that's all I needed to do. You know, it was looking at so how do I pull together a governance structure, which we did. But the best thing that came along was, and I tell people, and I don't mean this to be funny, but our dean of the medical school has a process called the Strategy 2025. And at the time, it was the refresh because they were refreshing it after COVID. And it was a gift. You know, here they had these seven pillars that they created in the Strategy 2025. And every year they go through what they call directed steps. And so they ask all of the chairs and operational leaders to look at what should be in their area, what should be the directed steps needed in order to support those pillars. And so they have a process that they follow and then they create these in 2021, the directed steps. The directed steps then, when we started to look at them, we're like, well, wow, there's digital throughout all of these. And so we met with them and we said, listen, we don't own your directed step, but what we wanna do is collaborate with you on that directed step. We want to use and understand what's digital 
and then help us to inform the digital roadmap going forward. And we'll bring it back to the deck. And if there's any kind of classifications, timing of it, if there's conflict, we'll bring that back to you. But we'll work through it and make sure it's on the digital roadmap. And what was really great about doing this process, it took a lot of time. But one, as a newer executive, it gave me this opportunity to meet with a lot of people and engage with them in terms of what the roadmap looked like and share with them because in it we said, you know, we're going to look at this in this framework and the framework we're going to use is knowing that academics is a very provider centric world, but we know we have to kind of bridge to consumer. So when we look at these directed steps, we're going to look at things that may fall under this category of bridging to consumer. But then we also know we have to get to more of a value place market or how do we bridge to the marketplace? And so there are some things in the directed steps that support that and some directed steps supported both. And then we knew that we had an infrastructure piece that we had to build out like the digital infrastructure. And so what were in the directed steps that informed the roadmap? And so doing that, the first year we did it, we came up with like 26 initiatives. The second year we came back with like 47 and this year 47. What all that does for us is one, it helps us put it into a framework, but it also helps inform then our digital roadmap around we look at it from of course we've got the virtual care we have access to care we have outreach we have our digital architecture we have our innovation and then we have experience and those six swim lanes make up our digital roadmap okay and so that's we've used that we're evolving it more and more Mm -hmm. we just came up kind of with like a one pager well if, if he only had one thing to share with somebody what would be our digital strategy? So we kind of came up with that. And the governance group, I've got chairs and operational leaders and my innovation people there. All I want them to do is make sure I'm strategically aligned with the organization and the roadmap. That's all. I don't want you to get into the tactics of it. That's my job. And we'll create product teams to do it. But are we on the right trajectory? Because if I mess that up, that's harder to kind of adjust than it is my product teams or the boots on the ground. So that's great. A couple of questions that you uh, spurred in my mind as you were describing that. So I love the, and I can visualize that you've got these pillars, these domains, you've got these directed steps. So I'm imagining then, Donna, that you meet with the leaders of these domains and you figure out what are the digital enablements that I can provide But at some point then your capacity is constrained. How do you negotiate among different leaders to figure out what you're going to prioritize and do and to also maintain relationships and keep the lines of trust open? Yeah. So one of the things that our digital enablement committee is the far reaching or overreaching strategy group. I have three other groups that oversee then the tactical sides to it. So I have an application advisory, I have a data governance, and then I have an infrastructure one. And the details, so the more of the nitty gritty of it goes to those areas. Now, the other thing I'll I'll say is it does get a little complex at times, but we try to have that epic first mentality. 
So when we look at something, if we're looking at access to care, right, that's a big one on our roadmap right now. Well, I want to see where Epic is with it. So actually later on today, I have a conversation around cheers because mm -hmm. I want to be able to use as much as Epic. I mean, that's a huge investment. I want to leverage yeah. that investment. So I constantly am going to push forward on Epic first. I want to get away from a lot of the bells and whistle kind of things that are out there. But I also want to make sure that the key partners I want to create out there are engaged in my strategy. And so like we went and we talked with Apple and we talked with Apple and Google and AWS and Microsoft and we shared our strategy and we said, now, what's your strategy? How does this marry up with ours? And so how best can you support our strategy? So the Microsoft Azure and what we could be doing in the cloud, you know, we'll have a, a hybrid cloud strategy, but we're going to tap into probably a lot of Microsoft pieces and keep utilizing those services. But there's a lot of things that are on their horizon that I want to kind of combine. And you would think this is funny because I when you do governance and you have all these initiatives lining up, it's funny how well they do line up and there's not a whole lot of conflict that happens. And one of the other things we did when I first got here was to make sure that the executives knew what was being kind of asked for under their name. When I would go to my CMO and say, do you know what projects you're responsible for? He's like, I don't know. I said, well, do you know what they're asking for and, and invoking your name? He's like, no. And I said, well, we're going to change that. And we did. So he automatically is kind of adjusting. Like if he doesn't yeah. believe in something, he tells them no. And that's really a good step in the right direction to manage the flow and kind of understand. We only have limited resources. Have yep. limited people. I can only take on so much kind of innovation and risk yep. all at once. So help me manage it. If you tell me, though, that this is at the top, we will get behind it and make sure we're delivering it. But I can't have 20 priority ones. And I think people understand that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Last question. Okay. So you you mentioned a few minutes ago this idea that what you want from your partners is verification of your strategy. Like, does it make sense? Are we aligned? But then don't try and get into the nitty gritty of the digital solutions we're bringing forward. And then you talked about the Epic First mentality. Has that ever been a struggle? Have you had business leaders or partners where they want to dive right into the solution or they oh, bring yeah. the solution forward? Okay. All what the are time. some effective ways that you found just to, to navigate that in a way that is true to the way we know it has to unfold, but also doesn't create friction or an adversarial relationship with your partner? I think first it's having a real good handle on what's the problem they're trying to yep. solve. And if they can articulate that, then solutioning it right up front, I can start to make the argument of then it's really dangerous to try to solution first before you understand the problem. Yeah. So let's understand what's the problem you're solving for. Let's leave the solutioning to the right people. Because even myself, like 
do you really want me getting in the middle of a network closet and like plugging and unplugging things? No, I mean, at one time in my life, I could have done that, but I don't do that now. I leave that solutioning to somebody else. So I think having those higher level discussions and sometimes bringing in the whole executive team and our executive, our true executive team is made up about six people is making sure are you all on board? If we're going to do this, this is going to take up this amount of resources and therefore nursing, you won't be able to have that system. Are you okay with that? Mm -hmm. Let's have that dialogue here rather than, you know, in the middle of the hallway and trying to negotiate it. It's better just to be really upfront of limited resources. What do you want to have us work on? Okay. Donna, what a delight to visit with you. Thank you for making a few minutes and just sharing just the experience, the expertise, the great things happening there at the U of U. Really appreciate you and your time. Have a good day. Yeah, thanks, Reed. I really love this show. I love hearing from people on the front lines. I love hearing from these leaders. And we want to thank our hosts who continue to support the community by developing this great content. We also want to thank our show sponsors, Olive, Rubric, Trellix, Medigate, and F5 in partnership with Sirius Healthcare for investing in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. If you want to support the show, let someone know about our shows. They all start with This Week Health, and you can find them wherever you listen to podcasts. There's Keynote, Town Hall, and Newsroom. Check them out today. And thanks for listening. That's all for now.